I know a lot of times when I am frustrated or frantic or fearful and I, I'm coming to the Lord, I'm, I'm coming with all that passion and God, you got to do this. God, I need this and I, I need this now and so forth. And it's like the song said, it just seems like it's quiet. I, I've learned and, and I think the song conveyed that sometimes God's waiting for me to calm down. He's waiting for me to calm down. I'll use my grandson, Tommy, when Tommy's upset. There's no reasoning with him. Uh, you just got, you got to wait till you can just calm him down a little bit. And when he can do that, then you can talk to him and you can explain and you can help him understand. Am I not correct on that? And I think uh, when I go to God, I'm a lot like Tommy. And God just has to say, Tom, he doesn't call me Tommy. He doesn't call me pastor either. Son, just, you, you need to calm down. Be still and know that I am God. Your Bibles are open to Genesis chapter 2. The message will be somewhat visual this morning, and it has a, a two-prong attack. Uh, I hope that you'll listen. I hope that you'll watch, and, and I hope the Lord can help to teach us something. On the sixth day of creation, as God finished that miraculous work, where he spoke everything into existence. His crowning achievement was the creation of man. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. If you're confused about all the gender stuff going on today, that just settled it. God created them male and female, man and woman. There's no differentiating between all this kind of stuff of gender and all this, you know, things like that. God said it very clearly. When he made man, he made him different than the other creatures he'd made. Everything else God spoke and it was done. But with man, God did it differently. The Bible says in verse 7 and the, uh, of chapter 2, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. God made him specifically with his hands. Isn't that amazing? Everything else he made with his words. Man he made with his hands. The Bible says, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We are not an animal. Man did not come from animals. Man did not evolve. Man was a separate, miraculous creation, a unique creation of God. When we reduce man to an animal, then we get to excuse any kind of behavior, don't we? But when we realize God created us differently, we are called to a higher level. Man was given dominion uh, over all the rest of the creatures that God had made. But the Bible says in verse number 18 of chapter 2, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Here's Adam. He's a perfect man, a perfect being with a perfect body and mind. Uh, he lives in a perfect world. He's placed in this garden where God has provided so much for him. Adam has a perfect relationship with God, but when God looked at him, he said, it's not good that the man should be alone. So God said, I will make him and help meet for him. Now, I want to clarify something. God wasn't making a maid for Adam. 
It was all the women that said amen. <laughs> well, I guess you said amen. Thank you, Rob. Okay. Uh, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't making a servant. That, that, that phrase, and help meet for him, uh, it, means, it means someone to come to one's aid. Someone to provide protection. It literally means one to surround and protect. In the New Testament, in John chapter 14, you don't have to turn there. The Savior said, and I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter. He's about to leave. And he had been the one to comfort, to help them, to guide them, to strengthen, encourage them. He said, I'm going to go to my father, but I'm going to pray that after I'm gone, he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit, one of his titles is the comforter. By definition, if you look up that word in your Strong's Dictionary, the word comforter means one called alongside to help. You understand when God said, I will make and help meet for him, God was saying, I am going to make somebody that I am going to call alongside Adam to help him, to complete him, to comfort him. And so God took a rib from Adam's side and of that rib, he fashioned a woman. Verse 21, we read about it, the first surgery Human history, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Almost every time I perform a wedding and we talk about this particular event in human history, I remind the bride, the groom and everyone listening that when God created Eve, God did not take a bone from Adam's head, lest Eve think that she is the superior to man. Nor did God take a bone from Adam's foot, lest man be tempted to think that the woman is his doormat. He took a bone from Adam's side that protects the heart to remind Adam and to remind Eve that they are that close to each other and their hearts are connected and that there's a togetherness about them. God always has a right way. He always knows best. So God brings this woman, this perfect lady to Adam and verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I'm going to get, I don't know if there was a scar left afterwards. I have no idea. Um, I, I, I don't know if God explained how this all came to pass, but Adam uh, is recognizing this, this woman is bone of my bones. She is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And it is Adam still talking here. Later on, the Savior would verify the words of Adam. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and he shall, next word, church, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This morning, I want to draw your attention to the word cleave. This is only a beginning text. The main text is going to come later in the book of Joshua of all places. But it is here that we want to understand something. The word cleave, by definition, as it's used here, means to catch by pursuit. It means to be joined together 
permanently. It means to adhere to. It means to cling to. And all of those are part of the biblical definition of the word cleave. And it is Adam and an Adam with perfect intelligence, a perfect relationship with God, recognized what God had done, what God had brought to him. And Adam immediately put a tremendous value on that relationship that God established that day, that they were one flesh. He said, and for this reason, because of what God has established, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Again, I said we're going to be a bit visual this morning. I've asked Rob and Anna. I know you saw her sitting here. Some are wondering if we have a new assistant pastor. Uh, it's just, no, she's my, they're helping me with an illustration this morning. If you could stand up and uh, help me up just a little bit. Um, Adam and Eve, okay? Uh, the first man, the first woman. Adam recognizes this incredible truth. The Savior, again, in the Gospels, repeated this exact truth word for word. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Though they'll be joined together, uh, it is a verb. It is an action. They will cling one to another. Could you two just hug? Uh, just stay right there. Don't move. They've not been getting along lately, so I'm trying to just... Give him a nudge in the right direction just a little bit. Would you understand that what Rob and Ann are doing, I'm certainly not trying to embarrass them. They're giving us a, a, a picture of a Bible word. Okay, it is a picture. Now understand that the cleaving of Genesis chapter two is not necessarily just about hugging for a long period of time. Okay, Again, this is a visualization. This is a picture. It goes much, much deeper than that. But the Bible says that this is what the husband and the wife are to do one for the other. Are we okay? Now, I want you to notice, not only is the man cleaving unto his wife, but the implication is very clearly given there, and they shall become one flesh. It is a, a two-way street. It isn't just Adam hanging on to Eve, nor is it Eve just hanging on to Adam. It's the two of them clinging on purpose to each other. And that's what cleave means. That's the picture of biblical cleaving. I'm going to let you guys sit down just for a moment. Rob's, Rob's leaning over and his back's getting sore and all that kind of stuff. And she is great with child and probably needs to sit down just a little bit. I want you to understand some things about this matter of cleaving one to another. Cleaving, I'm going to use that word a lot. I want you to know it. I want you to understand it, is a conscious choice. It's an action. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. It is a conscious choice. Remember, one of the definitions of the word cleave is to catch by pursuit. I remember when these two were going through that. Rob came through one year, one summer, on a tour group from Hiles Anderson and sang. Anna was sitting in the back with her mother, and he's singing. And Anna leaned over to my wife and said, 
is that tall guy staring at me? And you're supposed to make eye contact as you sing. And, and Trina said, I've been wondering the same thing. And the pursuit began. And I, 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 I'm pretty sure I'm telling the truth on this. It really wasn't just Rob pursuing Anna. Uh, Brother um, Anthony Co Collins, who was leading the tour group, to told Rob the next day, he said, either you get her phone number or I'm getting it for you. Am I correct? And so you got it, right? So the, the, the pursuit began. But see, I saw it from this end and uh, there was pursuit going on here too. She was trying to be a little more subtle about it, but it was definitely going on. Uh, any church in the state of Connecticut where he was singing with that tour group, somehow Anna and her mom felt led of the Lord to go to that service. <laughs> they are here because they caught each other by pursuit. I want you to understand cleaving is a conscious choice. Okay, I need you two back again. Shall cleave unto his wife that we want flesh. I need you to cleave. It's a conscious choice. I want you to understand number two, it is a constant choice. This is not just a wedding day moment where, where there's that closeness and, and, and I do and I will and, and all of that kind of stuff and, and stare into each other's eyes. This is a constant choice. The idea of cleaving is not you do it on the wedding day and then you separate and do your own thing. You can't do that anymore if you're one flesh. It, it, it doesn't work. A few years ago, the doctors decided to remove my leg. That leg died. I have no idea where it's at. Smithsonian, a dumpster, I have no idea where it's at. But I'm, I'm guaranteeing you that leg died because it could not be removed from the body and survive. And God's intention is if these two are one flesh, they can't be separated and survive the way God intended. Everybody okay with this? So it is not just a, 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 a choice that they've made, a conscious choice. It is a constant choice. It is, it is day in and day out, season after season. Uh, what do we say in the wedding vows? For better and for worse, in sickness and in health. Every married person here knows there are ups and there are downs. The best of marriages have ups and they have downs. But a biblical marriage has cleaving like this anyhow. Okay? That's, that's God's plan for some things. Now, listen very carefully. Suppose that sometime Rob lets go. She's still cleaving. She's still cleaving. You don't look like you're cleaving very hard there, girl. <laughs> She's still cleaving. Rob's hands at his side. He's still there, but he's consumed with his career. And that happens a lot. Working a lot of hours, putting a lot of effort in. He's, he's in the ministry, and I can guarantee you the ministry can take over, and it can interfere with the cleaving that God intended. Can I tell you this? God never told us to cleave to our job or our hobby or even the ministry. He told us to cleave to our wife. 
Do you understand he's no longer cleaving? And, and this often happens that one's holding on and the other one is not. Sometimes the one person stops cleaving because they're looking elsewhere. And it's no longer in a biblical framework. But Rob, I want you to cleave and Anna, you stop. Okay. She's tired. Like I said, great with child. He's supporting her, holding her up, and she's happy with that. Um, sometimes, let's say she's now cleaving to her children. Now, we're supposed to train up our, a child in the way she should go. We're supposed to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition, Lord. But listen very carefully. We're never taught to cleave to our children. Because if our children follow the biblical pattern, the day will come that they are going to leave their father and mother and go to their husband and wife, and they're going to cleave there. Oh, we're supposed to love them. And by the way, you never stop being a parent. You never stop being a grandparent. It's a permanent relationship, but it changes the moment of marriage. If there's one person cleaving and the other just has let go and they're pursuing other things, other things have consumed them, that marriage cannot function the way God intended. It will not bring the joy and the happiness that God wants. So are you guys okay? I'm going to let you sit down. Okay, poor Anna. I'm sorry. I, I just couldn't wait another four months to preach the sermon, you know, until after, after the baby comes along. I want you to notice it's not just a conscious choice and a constant choice. It is a consuming choice. A consuming choice. Can you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5? You knew it, I, I was going to end up here. This is not my final text, though, but it is part of this first part of the message, Ephesians chapter five. The Bible says in verse 22, and by the way, don't anybody freeze up, choke up, you know, get all tensed up. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Can I just interject here? Did you notice God had far more to say to the man than he did to the woman? Think on that for a moment. The Bible says, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord of the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones for this cause, third time in the Bible, Genesis 1, in the Gospels, and now in Ephesians. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. I want you to understand what the Lord has to say uh, about this matter. Let's go back to verse 22. He's talking to the wives first, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Remember the bone illustration, not from the head, not from the foot, but from Adam's side. 
Now that is a man-made illustration. You will not find that application legitimate or specifically spelled out in scripture, but I believe it to be a truthful statement. When it says for the wife to submit, doesn't mean be doormat. That's not what it's all about. Doesn't mean slavery. It means become his. Become his. Live for him. Live for him. See, what happens in a lot of marriages, selfishness steps in somewhere along the way. But, but what about what I want? What about, what, what about me? And me, myself, and I is never a good thing to be coming out in a marriage. It almost always it, it ends to a lack of cleaving. When there's that cleaving going on, the wife says to the husband, I am yours. In the Song of Solomon, book we don't refer to an awful lot. That is a song that is sung between a bride and a bridegroom with a choir coming in and out as the course of the song goes on. And in the Song of Solomon, the bride makes the statement, I am his and my beloved is mine. When God says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband, he's not saying to the wife, get down on your knees and kiss his shoe and, and, and all that kind of stuff. He's not saying that. He's just saying, wife, become his. Just let him know I'm yours. My whole world revolves around you. You are it. You are it. That's, that's how she cleaves to him. But it's not a one-way thing. I, I, I'll have them come up in, a, in another moment or so. We, we notice the fact that the cleaving is a joint thing, okay? In Genesis chapter two, it was a joint thing. They're joined together as one flesh. The, the, the wife is, has this mindset. She's consumed with the passion. I am his and he is mine. And, and her life revolves around this man that God's placed in her life and he is her protector and he is her provider and he is her strength and, and he is so many things. And her desire is, I want to be everything to him that he is to me. I want to provide for him everything that God intended for us to have. He is my world. But God doesn't leave the man off the hook and say, uh, she's going to do that for you and you just go out and play and you just go out and you have a really good time. God lays a, I think maybe even a heavier burden on the man and said, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Do you realize Christ died for the church? Amen. That's what it means. He gave himself for it. He literally died for his church. For a husband to love their wives as Christ loved the church, it's a selfless love. It's a setting aside what I want for, for what is best for her. And by extension, what is best for us? Because we are one flesh. How, how many are okay with that? It is a selfless love. It is a sacrificial love. Christ died for us. He gave himself for the church. And why did he do that? Uh, the Bible says that he might sanctify it and cleanse it by the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. 
Christ's desire for his church is that you and I should, number one, be saved from our sins as individuals. And you don't get that by joining the church. You get that by Christ. He died on the cross, was buried and raised again as the only payment God will accept for our sin. And we get saved again, not by joining a church, not by being baptized. I'm for both of those things, but they follow establishing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I get to share with you often at the age of 14, I rode a bus to a church like this and I heard the gospel. I was concerned, where am I gonna spend eternity? I'd been told if I was a good enough boy, I might get there. Not a good answer, not a Bible answer. Oh, but they showed me from the word of God that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There it is again. But whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, so Christ gave himself for the church in the first place that each individual might know Christ as Savior and be saved. But he keeps working in the church uh, because he wants us to grow in grace. Uh, he, he wants us to drop all the bad habits and establish those godly ones. And by the way, we're all a work in progress. Has anybody here arrived? Anybody? I mean, you are it. You've, you have nothing left to work on. Anybody? Paul, the great apostle, said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, meaning I haven't gotten there yet. The great apostle Paul said, I'm still pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is never going to give up on us. He's got a consuming passion. That's why in Philippians 1, he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, right now we're talking about Christ and his church. Amen? And, and so the husband is to have this selfless, sacrificial love for the wife uh, so that she grows and, 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 and she's, she becomes stronger in her faith and stronger in grace. And it's all about her, her, her well-being and her betterment. And at the exact same moment, there's a wife saying, I am his and he is mine. I want to be everything that he needs me to be. I want my every word. I want my every action. I want my every thought to be there for him. I want him to be stronger. I, I want him to be happy. I want him to be comforted. Remember, the same word for help me is applied to the Holy Spirit, the comforter. When Isaac got a bride at the age of 40 after his mother's death, and he and Rebecca met for, uh, for the first time and they got married, the Bible says, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Can I borrow you again? I know it's getting old. Would you cleave? Right here, you have the biblical picture of Christ and his church. We have Christ who gave himself for the church. We have the church, same word, submitting to Christ, saying, I'm his. By the way, we are his. That's a great thing. We are his. We are his. And we see in that illustration of Christ and his church, the husband and the wife, a husband who loves her more than he loves him. A selfless, sacrificial love and a wife who's consumed with him. I am his. Are we okay? Thank you. I'm gonna let you sit for quite a while now. So here we have these three things about cleaving. It is a conscious choice. It is a constant choice. It is a consuming choice. 
Turn with me now to the book of Joshua, chapter 23. I hope that you are keeping up on your Bible reading calendar we handed out earlier in the year. I'm enjoying it greatly. It wasn't that much that long ago that I came across this passage, Joshua chapter 23. Joshua is speaking to all of Israel. And notice what God said, or Joshua says to them in verse number eight. You ready? But cleave unto whom? Cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done this day. For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong, but as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. Notice verse 11 now. Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God, else ye, if ye do in any wise go back and next word, church, cleave unto the remnant of these nations even these that remain among you and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them and they to you know for certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. And I'm gonna just stop right there. Verse number eight, we are commanded, cleave unto the Lord. In Acts chapter 11, in verse number 30, there was a brand new church started in the city of Antioch. It was the world's first Gentile church. New thing. The uh, church of Jerusalem heard about it and they sent some of the apostles up along with a man named Barnabas. Barnabas. By the way, Barnabas' name means the son of consolation or the comforter. I love how the Bible has a way of tying everything together. The Bible says that Barnabas was a good man who when he was come, the Bible says that he encouraged them that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. Same word as Genesis chapter two, that they would cleave the Lord. So Joshua is commanding these people before he steps off the scene and steps out into eternity, cleave unto the Lord your God, lest you cleave unto the heathen nations that are round about you. Jesus stated in Matthew chapter, I believe it's chapter number six, he said, no man can serve two masters. For either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the things, the wealth, the riches, the, the, the prosperity that the world appears to offer. No man can serve two masters. Okay, so here we go again. Come on back up. I, I got to state this carefully. Rob, you're going to be God. I know we thought he was much better looking, but you're going to be God. Okay, and you're the Christian. Would you understand something that the moment we get saved, God cleaves unto us. He said, yeah, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Brother Tim read these verses in Sunday school, a portion of them. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution 
or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. Nobody else likes us. Nobody else uh, understands us. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And here it is, for I am persuaded. That means I am thoroughly convinced. I have come to understand with every fiber of my being. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things come, nor height, nor depth, depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you understand the moment you got saved, your heavenly father began cleaving unto you, and he will never stop. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And we may stumble and we may fall and we may mess up, but his mercy endureth, how long church? Forever, because he's cleaving to us. Why? We, we learned it in Ephesians. He, he wants us to grow in grace. He, he wants us to be stronger. When we fall, he wants us to get back up again. Uh, we, when we're weak, he wants to make us strong. And God's cleaving unto us. The question is not, does God cleave to us? The question is, are we cleaving unto God? Anna, can you not cleave for a moment? That is not biblical, what you're seeing right there. If Rob is God and Anna is the child of God, that is not biblical. It's biblical in the sense that God will never stop cleaving. But it's unbiblical in the sense that Anna is not cleaving unto God. And Joshua said to the people, God has been mighty good to us. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise to us. He made a statement like that two or three times in his parting words to them. God's kept his word. God's driven out the nations. You live in a land that he promised our forefathers. We're seeing things that no other generation of Israelites have ever seen, and that's all God. But you need to make sure that you cleave unto the Lord your God. But that, always, that doesn't always describe us because sometimes... We're looking out at the world. We're believing the commercials and the billboards. We battle the world and the flesh and the devil, don't we? And sometimes they whisper, yeah, you don't want that. You don't want that church stuff. You don't want that God stuff. And sometimes things come in the way. Things get us out of church. Things get us out of sorts. And we're not cleaving to God. And we're missing all that God has for us. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. We have a lot of married couples in here. Have you ever fussed with each other? Some of you just gave yourself away. Have you ever had a big one? Blow up the walls type thing. So how fun was that? Kids go hide. Neighbors open their windows so they can hear it all better. Come on, you know. No happiness in that. You understand when that's going on, one or both have ceased cleaving. One or both had said, I'm more important than you are. What I want is more important than what you want. What I, what I do, uh, it's, it's my life, I'll do what I want. And self enters in 
And in, in cleaving in marriage, self is out of the picture because, can you cleave? <laughs> the only way there is self is when it looks like this. It's not Rob or Anna. It's Rob and Anna. And for the child of God, we are missing out on all the goodness that God has for us. That's what Joshua went on to say. He said, if you stop cleaving to the Lord and you cleave to the nations that are around you and you intermarry and you adopt their gods and practices, know of a surety that even though he loves you, even though he's brought you this far, even though he's got so much more for you, you you're going to miss out on all of it because you stopped cleaving unto the Lord. Cleaving is a conscious choice. It is a constant choice. And it is a consuming choice, not just in marriage, but in the entire Christian life. Thank you. I think I'm gonna let you sit down. I said think, because then if I don't, I didn't lie. I remember when I first got saved. It was everything that I've been looking for since I was a fifth grader, worried about where I was going to spend eternity. I heard the gospel. I got saved. I knew I was saved. I didn't know about the doctrine of eternal security. I would learn that later on, but I knew I was going to go to heaven when I died, and I was overwhelmed with that. And by the way, I still am. I didn't know anything about this Bible. I didn't understand so much about this Christian life, but, but I, I remember when I got saved, I was just consumed with being saved. I didn't understand and didn't even know the verse was in there, I am his and he is mine, but it's the way I felt. I'm, I'm, I'm saved on my way to heaven. I could not get enough of church. I'd never gone to a church where they carried Bibles, but I carried my Bible the first Sunday and found out, yep, I'm in one of those churches. And by the way, we are one of those churches. And, and, and I, I couldn't find the places real fast in the Bible. I told you the first Sunday there, the pastor said, turn to Hosea. Really? Couldn't you start in Genesis? I'm a newbie at this. Hosea. I thought, literally, I thought I brought the wrong book because I brought the Bible. I was that ignorant about it. But there was something about this book that I, I didn't understand, but I wanted to, and I couldn't get enough of it. I couldn't get enough of church. I couldn't get enough of the youth group. I couldn't get enough of being involved. I worked on a bus route. I went on teen soul winning. I sang in the choir. I, I mowed the lawn. Anything that was going on, I, I couldn't get enough. I was cleaving unto the Lord. And those were amazing days. But life has a way of getting in between. Problems have a way of coming along. Friends have a way of maybe pulling us away. And pretty soon I found myself facing those things. And although he was cleaving unto me, the Bible tells me that, I have to honestly say there were times when I let go. Because I was reaching for something else. My friends popularity, pleasure, sin. And the joy of the Lord was gone. What I had in those early days of salvation, they were gone. I'm glad God doesn't let go. Amen. 
and I'm glad that God draws us back. People don't like to give second chances, but God loves it. And third, and fourth, and fifth, because his mercy endures for how long? Forever. I'm really glad God didn't put a number on that because I would have exceeded that decades ago. I'm not talking about I get to go live any way I want and flippantly come to God. Oh, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about God never lets go. You don't have to get back up again. But I, I'm, I'm just testifying. When I'm not cleaving to God, it's my fault, never God's. It's my fault, never yours. It's my fault, never my circumstances. He said tribulation or persecution or peril. None of these things separate us from the love of Christ. If I'm not cleaving to him the way that I should, it's not because he let go, it's because I let go. I need to ask you this morning, and I'm gonna borrow you one more time. I'm all done. I'm all done. To every married couple in the world, would you two cleave? And we're understanding that it's, it's not a, it's just not this physical thing of hugging. It's, it's just consuming our life. The Savior said that the greatest commandment is to, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Every fiber of our being. Husbands and wives, does this describe your marriage? And only you know if it's true or not. And everyone goes through a period of time or season where we let other things get in the way and we let go. Can I challenge you and encourage you from the Bible today? Do your best to get back here. Well, they're not cleaving. No, you cleave. You cleave. Get back here. Child of God, does this describe you and your God? Or is it God hanging onto you while you're running after other things? Remember, cleave means to catch by pursuit. Why is it God's always chasing us? Why aren't we chasing God? Why don't we want God as much as God wants us? We've got a twofold thing. There's going to be an invitation in a moment. I don't often do this. I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. My heart is consumed with our families being what God wants them to be. I'm, I'm just going to encourage every husband and wife this morning, make a trip to the altar together and say, God, help us to get back to that. God, help us to stay here Never lose this. I'm also asking every Christian in this room, because see, there's a bunch of teenagers, they've been sitting here the first half of the sermon, they're like, what? <laughs> Just understand that you'll be old enough someday and there'll be some blind girl that's gonna marry you. <laughs> I'm asking every, every Christian in this room to honestly... Take a look at your walk with God. Does this describe you and your God? Or is God the one doing all the hanging on? And sometimes we just have to come and say, Lord, I let go. I'm not cleaving. 
I read Joshua 23 several weeks ago in my scripture reading. I just, I just stopped and I just asked God, God, am I cleaving? Am I cleaving to you the way I should? And I just let God work in my heart and I keep doing it because it's a constant thing. Can we bow our heads? Robin Anna, thank you so much.